Well, again, morning and uh, happy Easter to all of you today. And um, I I recognize that many of you are are here and have different thoughts and feelings going on. Some of you are here and have been uh, looking forward to this day for a while and certainly wouldn't miss it. Others of you are here because uh, mom and dad kept pestering you and said, you're coming on Easter, you better be here, Uh, and you came. And no matter what the background is as to why you're here, My uh, hope is that through our time together in the next 30 minutes or so, that you can go away with a renewed, or maybe for the first time, understanding of the difference that Jesus' resurrection makes for eternity, yes, absolutely, but also for today and right now as well. If you haven't noticed, there in your service folder is a little uh, colored insert, and if you'd like to use that to follow along just to make sure that uh, Pastor Ben has a point and is moving in the right direction, um, uh, hopefully that could be a blessing uh, for you as we uh, study through John chapter 20, 10 through uh, 18. If, uh, if you ever visit San Jose, California, there is a stop that you could make in, I guess, your tour of the town, and it's a home that was once lived in by a woman named Sarah Winchester. I think we have a picture of her here on the screen. Sarah Winchester was the wife of the founder and the owner of Winchester Rifle or Winchester Gun Company. And so most of you have heard of that type of and you would expect, and it is true, that the Winchester family was quite affluent and, and wealthy. And yet Sarah had some internal struggles that were related to external problems And it kind of all started to snowball when her and her husband um, had their first baby. And because of complications at childbirth, um, after about two weeks, their daughter, their newborn daughter, died. Obviously, a really heavy burden to carry. And subsequent to that, she and her husband were not able to have any more children When Sarah was 41, which at one time I thought was really old, and now it's not that old, Um, just just saying. Um, When she was 41, in a span of about a year, her father-in-law and her husband both died. So she's 41, has a lot of life to live yet, and yet she's a widow with no children, can't have children, and her husband, I guess, you know, I said she's a widow, her husband died. So... (laughs) Sarah had a lot that the world seemed to, would think would have fulfilled her, but Sarah had this overwhelming feeling of empty, and she tried for years to figure out how to feel empty. Now, just a little bit of a side note, Sarah was not a Christian, didn't have really much time for the Bible and for Jesus, so she looked at a whole bunch of other things to fill her empty. One of the things she did was to consult a spiritist. Or another word for that would be like a fancy fortune teller, okay? And as she talked with the spiritist, the spiritist said, you know what, Sarah, it seems like there's some evil spirits that are just trying to terrorize you and make your life difficult. Here's what you should do. Here's what I'm being told. That what you should do is to help distract and sort of, um, I guess, get the spirits off on the wrong path by adding on to your house and making it so big and confusing that the spirits can't find you in the house. Now, if you're thinking that that's the dumbest advice you've ever heard, um, I'm right there with you. And yet, 
Sarah, in the midst of her empty, because it makes no other rational sense, in the midst of her empty, she decided to give it a try. You can look this up online. Sounds like a story I made up. It is not. It's true history. In the midst of her empty, she started to add on to her house. For the next 40 years, without any stopping, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there were workers at her house adding on to it to make it big, to make it confusing. In an era, late 1800s, when a worker would make 50 cents a day, she spent $5 million in adding on and remodeling her home. I think I have a a picture of it here on the screen. Um, When she was done, there was 160 bedrooms, there was 47 fireplaces, 15 bathrooms, 10,000 windows. She made doors, one door in particular, you'd open it up and there would be a nine-foot drop into a kitchen sink. Makes no sense, right? She had staircases in this, take the tour, that go down to basically a dead end to a wall, and another staircase that goes up nine feet, and there were seven turnarounds in a span of going up nine feet. Here's my point. When you're in the midst of your empty, you look for just about anything to fill it. In fact, here's our first fill-in for today. We would rather fill the empty than to feel empty. Here's what I mean by empty. Discouraged. Wanting. Despair. Incomplete. And here's what I know about you, because it's true of me. It may not be today. It may not have been yesterday. But every single one of you, in big ways or little ways, for a long time or for a season, have felt empty. And when you're in the midst of empty, the only thing you want to do is to fill it so that you don't feel it anymore. Now, Sarah, I mean, I mean, again, dumb advice. She took it. She's building her house and doing crazy things. I think some people do try to add on to their house to fill the empty or get a new house, right? What, what else do we fill our empty with? Uh, we maybe think that if my career is a certain extent or, or my business or even my church is a certain, you know, bigness or success that it's going to fill my empty. Maybe we think if we get married, all of a sudden the empty is going to be filled. Or if I have children or the right number of children, I'm going to fill the empty. We try to fill the empty with a whole lot of, whole lot of things. Today, on Easter... My goal, as we read through John chapter 20 here, is to show you a woman who felt empty, was trying to fill it with the wrong thing, and that at the end of the day, she found what only truly can fill our empty. Uh, I kind of alluded to that woman earlier. Her name was Mary Magdalene, which... Magdalene was not her last name. They didn't have last names back then. Uh, It was the town that she was from. It was Mary from Magdala, Mary Magdalene. And you have to understand a little bit about her backstory to understand her connection with Jesus. So when you read through the life of Christ, what you find is that Jesus um, had met Mary when she was in the midst of a really difficult time. Here's the thing. Mary 
had been possessed by seven demons, the Bible says. Now, Sarah's spiritists talked about evil spirits. Evil spirits actually do exist. Demon possession is something that has happened and can happen. Not something we need to be scared of, but something that can happen. Mary Magdalene was experiencing this. And so on a daily basis, as she was possessed by these demons, she did not have control over her life or over her body. Have any of you ever been there or experienced that? Um, I was thinking, is there a corollary here? And I thought about um, my wife's oldest brother, who's now in heaven. Um, He had uh, epilepsy. And so on any day, without really any forewarning, he could have a seizure. And I remember, I remember Carrie talking about how, because I never had a chance to meet Brian. Um, he's in heaven now. Um, I, I remember her talking about, when, especially when mom and dad were gone, how she was nervous that he might have one of these seizures, and, and Brian had no control over it. This is, this is what Mary was going through every single day, that at any point in her day, she could say something, she could do something that she didn't want to do but it would happen because of these, these demons in her. Well, Jesus shows up one day, says, Mary, and she, he casts the seven demons out of Mary, and she now has control over her life again. You think that would make an impact on you? This guy who totally, literally changed my life, and Mary had a great affection and love for Jesus as a friend And she came to know him also as not just someone who healed her of the demons inside of her, but came to know him as her savior from sin. She put her trust in him. And in fact, she gave her life to follow him. Mary Magdalene shows up a lot in the gospels accounts. And here's why. She wasn't one of the 12 disciples, but I like to think that Mary Magdalene was kind of on Jesus' staff at least, okay? She was kind of the support system. She was there along with some other women a lot, traveling with him, very close friend. And why wouldn't she be? The difference that Jesus had made in her life. So Good Friday comes. I don't know if you've ever been at the bedside of someone that you just had a great amount of love for and affection for. I know um, I've had a chance to, to do that. Um, and there's this, there's this mixture of emotions. On the one hand, you feel so privileged to be able to be there. And for a, a Christian relative, I was able to share the gospel and kind of help usher them into heaven with the, the news of Jesus. But there's also this, this, this difficulty as you think about that loved one, at least for the time being, not being with you anymore. Now, that's a a peaceful going into heaven, someone that you love. Mary Magdalene's experience on Good Friday was not that one. Imagine that same person you might be thinking of that you got to, to usher into heaven or thinking about, but yet, instead of lying on a bed going to heaven, this, this person was brutally beaten and murdered. That was Mary Magdalene's experience on Good Friday. The person she loved as a friend, as a teacher, and as her savior, brutally beaten and executed. And, and this day was heavy. Good Friday. She would have felt very empty, not just because her friend was gone, but remember, Mary had put her faith, her trust in Jesus as Savior, and now all of a sudden, this victor king is now dead. 
And Mary doesn't get it all. She doesn't understand everything, some of the things that we know and understand. And she thinks that her hope is lost. Mary is feeling empty. She sees Joseph and Nicodemus not quite finish the the burial process for Jesus' body. And so at 6 a.m., likely, on Sunday morning, she gets up. To finish it, yes, I, I think maybe also there's a little of this in Mary and the women. You know, like, like women today, too, like the men, they, they, they didn't do a very good job. We need to fix it, you know, and the, the burial process. So that might have been part of it, too. They go really early in the morning, and here's where we pick it up. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, This word in the Greek for removed is not like the word you'd use for rolled. It's like the word for pushed aside. It's the word like, this is my translation, thrown away. It wasn't a lightly moved. Something weird happened here, okay? Verse 2. So she came running back to the disciples, because there's only the women at the, the cemetery, at the tomb. She ran back to the disciples who were locked in a room because they were fearful, and also to John, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord. We're going to come back to this. She's meaning they've taken the Lord's dead body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put the dead body. And so Peter and John ran to the tomb. They go back to the house, and Mary followed Peter and John, and now she's back at the tomb all by herself. Verse 11, or 10, I should say. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary, by herself, stood outside the tomb crying. Have you ever been in the midst of your empty, and the only thing that you could do was weep? You tried this, you tried that, you've been trying to get rid of the empty, and you're just overtaken by emotion, and you're weeping, and you're crying. It's Mary. She wept. She bent over to look into the tomb. Now, see, what added even to the rest of her problems and and what we talked about before is that the, the dead body wasn't there. I mean, imagine if you, your dad died or your grandpa died, and um, you went to the cemetery to go visit a couple of days afterwards, and someone had stolen the body. Would that bother you? Or you went to the funeral home, and they misplaced it, or someone had come in the night before and taken the body. You know the body's not the most important part, but it still bothers you. And Mary is fixated on this dead body. She's looking for the dead body. She bent over. She looked into the tomb didn't see the body. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the feet. Verse 12, 13. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, his body. And I don't know where they have put his body, him. She looks in. Did you, did you catch what happened? I think we need to go back to this. It's pretty amazing. Next slide again. She looks in and she sees two angels in white seated there. And when you read the rest of the section, it's as if 
Seeing these two angels, and whether they looked like men or had wings or they glowed, we know that they had like Clorox bleached white outfits on, you know, type of thing, right? They were glowing. It's as if it didn't make any difference at all to Mary. Can I tell you how weird that is? Let me give you an example. I want you to imagine that you saw your daughter when you put her to bed, and the last time you saw her is when you closed the door. And you get up in the morning, and you go look for your daughter in her room, and she's not there. Would you have a little anxiety over that? Probably, especially if she's pretty young. You can't find her. You look all over. You don't know where she is. And so you run to tell the neighbors. Let's just say that your neighbors' names are Peter and John. Okay, I'm just picking names out of a hat. Let's just say Peter and John are your neighbors. And you go tell them, hey, I don't know where my daughter is. And they run over to your house and they look in and your daughter's not there. Like, oh, and they go back home. Now you're left there all by yourself. And you go up into the bedroom and your daughter's not there. But you see two guys standing there. And they're glowing. And you're like, hey, all right. And then you just keep wa- you walk back out of the room and don't say anything. Don't ask any questions. You just stay in the same state of mind and of heart. You would never do that. <laughs> What's going on with Mary Magdalene? How come this didn't make a bigger impact on her? How come she didn't ask questions? The angels were wondering that. They asked the question, woman, why are you crying? And it wasn't like, why you're crying because we don't know. It was like, woman, why the heck are you crying? This is the greatest day ever. Jesus rose from the dead, just like he said, and you're weeping and crying because you're looking for something to fill your empty, and what she was looking for was a dead body. And she didn't find what she was looking for And so she stayed in the midst of her weeping and of her empty. It's easy to rip on Mary, and she probably deserves some of it. But I would propose that we're not so different. A lot of times, we're tempted in the midst of our empty to fill it with things that we think will fill it and to totally be oblivious to that which really can. Our next fill-in is this. We're tempted in the midst of empty to overlook the right thing for that will fill it for my thing that I think will fill it. In the midst of empty, we're tempted to overlook the right thing today. We're going to see it in a second for my thing. And we all do it. We try to fix our hurting hearts with food or with vacations or with a cabin up north or with success or with money or whatever. And are those things bad things? No, they're not bad things. (laughs) But if you try to fill the heart of your empty with those things, it's not going to work. Just like Mary was oblivious to that which could change her disposition and give her hope on Easter morning. Verse 14. As this, 
She turned around and says she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Now, I had always thought that this was definitely because Jesus had sort of veiled his appearance so she couldn't notice who it was. I'm, I don't know what it was, but I'm not so sure that that was it anymore. As I, I look more deeply into just Mary's uh, being oblivious to all the stuff going on, maybe Jesus wasn't veiled. Maybe it was just that, that Mary was so focused on this dead body, she really wasn't even looking, or maybe her... Her eyes were, her sight was blurred by her tears, but for whatever reason, she didn't realize that Jesus was there. Verse 15, woman, he said, why are you crying? Not like, again, why are you crying? I I don't know. It was like, come on, Mary, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? I'm right here. Hey, hello. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him, i.e., the dead body. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, I've always wished I could have been there to hear, I might ask Jesus this someday, how did you say Mary? I'd love to know how he said that. You in your life might have someone that you love that you can just hear how they say your name. And when you hear your name said by that person, you just right away think of them. That's what happened to Mary. She heard her best, one of her best friends, her Savior, say Mary. It was like, I'm looking for a dead body, but that's Jesus alive. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Raboni, which means teacher. And in that moment, as she recognized and still didn't get the full picture that Jesus was dead, but he didn't stay dead. He actually was alive. Mary's empty was filled. Jesus' victory over death, his resurrection, Easter, means that everything changes for us. It means that sin no longer condemns us, It means that death, physical death, is no longer the end. It means that you have hope. It means that you can have joy no matter what you're going through. It means means that you're empty, can be filled. Our next fill-in. Jesus' empty tomb fills our emptiness. Jesus' empty tomb fills our emptiness. Now, I'm not so naive as to think that because of Jesus' empty tomb and the resurrection that you're still not going to have struggling days or things. Of course, it's going to happen. What I am saying is that the solution begins with the empty tomb. That the solution to emptiness always begins, and we have to get back to that the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. The next verse. Jesus said, Mary, don't hold on to me, for I've not yet returned to the Father. This do not hold on to me was not like, you know, Mary, quit hugging me because I need to ascend into heaven and you're going to weigh me down. What Jesus was saying here is, like, don't emotionally hold on to me in the sense of the way things used to be. You know, where I used to walk with you and we had meals together and the 12 disciples and I, you know, we were buds and I was here on earth every single day in physical form. Don't hold on to the past. It's not going to be the same. But Mary, here's what's true. It's going to be better for you. 
in the future. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, the disciples, I'm returning to my father, and now my father has become, because of Easter, your father. My God, and because of my resurrection, Mary is now your God. You and I, because sin has been defeated and taken away through Jesus' resurrection, now don't just have an impersonal God. We have what Jesus is saying to Mary, a God that has become your personal father, your personal God that you have a relationship with. Verse 18. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. She told them, that he had said all of these things to her. And Mary, filled with the empty tomb, becomes the first evangelist of the resurrection. And she goes back to her friends in the room and tells them the good news. Her empty, now filled with the empty tomb. That's the message of Easter. And if you are someone who's here and isn't quite sure about a fact that a guy could die and rise from the dead, like, I understand. It sounds, it sounds like fairy tale language. It sounds like Sarah Winchester and build your house and thing. you know, it, it, it sounds that way. But if you're someone who's struggling with this and wondering about it. Here's what I would say. It is nothing like Sarah Winchester and the, and the house building. You know why? Well, one reason is that we have the evidence of history and how people's lives were changed when they saw Jesus dead, like Mary did, but then alive. You have Peter who denied even knowing Jesus to a servant girl, he becomes one of the bravest messengers of the resurrection of Jesus and actually chooses to die through crucifixion then to stop talking about the risen Savior. You have a group of Christians called the early Christian church who faced the worst persecution there's ever been of Christianity in that first hundred years, and yet they would not stop believing in Jesus and talking about him, even though it meant death for them and their families. Why? I think you need to wrestle with that if you're not sure. I know why. Because they saw Jesus dead, and then they saw him alive. Now, for all of us, I want to close today by making sure you understand that Easter difference is not just something that makes a difference when you die. That's the most important part. But it makes a difference today. And to do that, I want to introduce you to someone. Um, There's a picture on the screen of my uh, grandpa Zastro. Um, About two weeks ago, we had a chance to, uh, I had to just do some work things in Milwaukee, and we stopped by Watertown, Wisconsin to visit my grandpa. He's, He's 90 years old. He uh, lives in the same home. He told us the story again, <laughs> again, um, while we were there about uh, he and his brothers built the house uh, before he got married, and uh, they, he's lived in this house all of his life. My mom grew up there all of her life and so forth, and my grandma, his wife, died about uh, 10 years ago or so. 
My grandpa, you know, his life story puts Sarah Winchester's to shame as far as the difficulty of it. And I won't get into all of it, but here's two things. His mom died from a spider bite when he was nine years old, and he was sort of put off to different homes. Uh, His brothers split up. He lived in about five, six, seven different homes of people throughout his early childhood. And then his brother, one of his brothers, got um, hit by a car while he was riding his bike um, when he was a teenager. And there's a lot more to his story, but those are two of the main things that just made his life difficult. And we were asking how he was doing and you know, um, things are a little bit different at his house uh, in the sense that uh, my, uh, my, my grandma, who hasn't been around for a while uh, because she's in heaven, um, you know, she had a way of decorating, and there's certain that grandma smell there, you know, which is a good one, a good smell. Um, and, uh, and so that's different, you know, and I could tell he's a little bit lonely. Um, he talked about how he, uh, he still cleans uh, uh, once a week to kind of keep himself busy and as a side job and makes me think, like, would, would you sit there while a 90-year-old cleaned your business? Or, like, I would be like, you go sit over there, 90-year-old grandpa. I'll keep cleaning, you know. But anyway, he's, uh, he, does, he has a cleaning job. Um, he, uh, he does puzzles. He rides an exercise bike and learns German at the same time, he said. And I'm like, what do you mean, Grandpa? He said, look over there, and across from his exercise bike is a plaque of the Lord's Prayer in German. He said, while I ride, I've memorized German Lord's Prayer. I've got three quarters of it done. I'm going to get it all done before I die, he said. So, <laughs> just a great guy. I can tell he's lonely. Nights, especially, he said. But you know what he's not? Empty. He has struggles. They're worse than they used to be. He has challenges, but he knows how to fill them. My grandpa is one of the strongest Christians I know, and it shows. Because while he has struggles, you can tell he's not empty. Being a Christian does not take away all your problems. But believing in Christ does begin to fill your empty. And that is my prayer for you this Easter and every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection of your Son. And we thank you for the difference that it's made in our lives. If there are those among us today who are feeling a great feeling of empty, I pray that you help strengthen them and encourage them in that and that you would ultimately lead them to the knowledge that the the healing begins and is centered around the empty tomb. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.